True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. Hey there, True Multifamily listeners. Justin here. Want to make sure you know about our website, truemultifamily.show, where you can stay all up to date, not only on this podcast, but all of our investment opportunities and other projects we have going on. Sign up for our newsletter at truemultifamily.show. See you there. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser. Here today, Mr. Scott Myers. Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Justin. I'm glad we finally had a chance to catch up. Absolutely. Today, oh man, Scott's got such great experience from multifamily, but also self-storage. So I'm really excited to sort of compare and contrast the the differences in asset management between the two. Uh, But Scott, please start us off. Tell us a bit about how you got into real estate, how you got started, and and take us through sort of your journey. Sure. So uh, sort of like most people get started in real estate with a single family house. Um, I bought, now this is going back a little bit for some of the listeners out there. I bought the Carlton Sheets home study system uh, back in 1993. And I used that to buy my first uh, single family house. I found an actual VA loan that I could assume because uh, those were out there at the time. So small down payment, bought that property, rehabbed it, rented it out, refinanced it. So the Burr method before it was the Burr method. Yeah. And then uh, took that money and parlayed that into two more properties. And so we continue to do that for a number of years, um, you know, 175 to 250 positive cash flow on those, which kind of got eaten up pretty quick when you have vacancies. And so I thought, well, I need to grow. And uh, if I'm going to achieve, you know, what Carlton and everybody else says that I, I need to um, get economies of scale. So I started buying apartment complexes. So we had, we had about 78 houses and, uh, and about four over 400 um, multifamily units as well. And uh, to me, I just, it, it felt like I compounded the problem. I still had a lot of tenant toilet <laughs> trash problems. And even though we had management companies and managers in place, you know, I mean, you know, Justin, the book stops here still. I still have to yeah. deal with um, issues and write checks and things. And so, you know, um, everybody says real estate's great. Rental real estate's great if it weren't for the tenants and toilets, right? <laughs> So <laughs> exactly. So I begin to look, you know, what does that look like, you know, and it's it's parking lots and, and, and self-storage. And so I got more intrigued than with self-storage and just taking, you know, the knowledge that I had in underwriting and managing and operating, you know, multi-tenants in apartments and seeing what that looked like in self-storage. It's just not tenants. It's just that units and, and it's their junk. I mean, they're treasures that are stored in, in those units and <laughs> looking at the business model. And, you know, the more I looked at it, I, I really liked what I saw. Um, if they don't pay, you get to put a lock on their unit and they can't get their stuff out until they pay you. And if they still don't pay, then you get to sell their stuff off and recoup your money. So, you know, that alone, you know, was worth the price of admission or, or at least worthy of taking another look. And so the more I looked, um, you know, I liked uh, that not only that, but just the the market as a whole, the, the self-storage market in the industry, very, very recession resistant, very, very inflation resistant. Um, you know, a turn in, in my apartments was about 1300 bucks and about a month and a half to get the folks out clean, paint, replace, whatever needed to be done. And in storage, you know, in 30 seconds, you know, after somebody leaves, you could take a blower in it, blow the unit out and move in the next person that's waiting in line. And so, you know, all these things just kind of kept pointing to, you know, a simpler business model that is a little bit more predictable and a little bit more manageable. So bought our first facility um, with a partner. 
and uh, then began selling off uh, single family houses and our apartments and then just went 100% into self storage and so now we have uh, we we acquire facilities existing facilities you know everything we do is value add which i think everybody that's investing in real estate should be doing nothing but value add so existing facilities that are undermanaged uh, have more land and you know another acre or two acres that we can add on to and uh, build more buildings add more units and then also developing you know we buy a piece of dirt and we develop facilities and repurpose industrial buildings uh, as well wow. and commercial buildings and now you know strip centers retails dying um, you know many of the big boxes are going away and we're repurposing those and converting them into self storage as well so we we covered the gamut and then uh, in, back in 2007 we started uh, an education company as well so we consult uh, we hold live events uh, we partner with folks and so we have a suite of resources and software and you know any item basically that helps somebody to learn how to find acquire and manage a self-storage facility so that's um, I don't know in five minutes I think that's a that, that's a story that was, over the past 20 oof. years <laughs> that was great um, I, I'd like to break down a, a few key pieces there um, your transition from single to multifamily, um, how did that go? You know, you said you learned Carlton sheets for the single family stuff. What did you have mentors, guides? How did you feel comfortable getting into the multifamily space? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I was active in my local RIA and purchasing home study systems. And, you know, I was, I was soaking everything up. Should have had a mentor at the time. Uh, the first, I had 15, I think we had somewhere between 15 to 20 houses when we bought our first apartment complex okay. and that was 60 units. And so it was kind of a jump, mm -hmm. um, at least for us at the time. And so my mentor was uh, the broker who brokered the deal to me and maybe not the best uh, person to go to reach to is somebody who also <laughs> has uh, you know, a vested interest in getting yeah. <laughs> a deal across the finish line because I had a commission check waiting for him. And uh, so I should have dug in and, and done a little bit more due diligence at the end of the day. I should have had a mentor. I should have had a coach, somebody helping me through that. Um, so I uh, did that the wrong way and, and learned. I mean, it was, it was still profitable, but you, you know, you don't realize in, on, on the back end, you know, some of the, the mistakes that, that were made and just, um, you know, first time underwriting and, you know, it all penciled out and, and the bankers were okay with it. The appraiser was okay with it. So certainly, you know, who am I to question, you know, sure. that, that these numbers everyone's going to give this to me. They all approve. Why not? Uh, right. Exactly. And, and unfortunately now, you know, as we become, you know, mentors and teachers and coaches to others, we realize that, uh, gosh, you know, well, I should have dug into the appraisal and realized I was paying more per square foot than everybody else. You know, sure. Mm -hmm. It still pencils out and covers the loan, but you know, it just didn't put us in the best position. You know, we were paying retail, full retail, Fair and enough, uh, yeah. you never want to do that. You just you want to walk in with a buffer and, and being you know be able to purchase a little bit less, a little bit less per square foot, or to, in terms of cap rate, whatever, than the rest of the market is buying stuff because you know we are better, and Justin, your audience, and you know is better than that. We shouldn't have to. So, um, so yeah, should should have had a little more help on the first one. Okay, got it. And then, how long would you say you were in multifamily before you started thinking about self storage? Yeah, so we slugged it out in multifamily for uh, I think about three or four years or so, okay. and then realized that um, you know even though it was going well, it just you know, we we had some loftier goals. I don't think mm -hmm. they were lofty loftier than anybody else's, but you know we we wanted to have the lifestyle business in real estate. Sure. And um, it was still at that point, you know, until you reach that critical mass, and it's different for everybody depending upon their business structure. But you know, we just didn't ever really reach the economies of scale where we did have you know third party management everywhere and a staff large enough you know to handle then the management companies uh, and all that. That was still my wife and I. And so we realized, and, and and we just didn't really like how susceptible we were to the laws. And um, you know, thank God there wasn't uh, you know moratoriums on evictions mm -hmm. like we have right now. But you know, you know, it didn't matter back then. And, you know, every time we turn around, you know, the the, the city didn't prepare for uh, the sewer that needed to be 
completely rebuilt in the entire city. And so they, you know, increased sewer taxes and yeah. doubled our taxes and, you know, just sent us into, you know, into the red instead of into the black. You know, there's always those those unknowns. And, and we thought that there was just too many, too much liability and renting out units with people living in it mm-hmm. and, and all that goes with it. And so, you know, that's when we begin looking at into self another asset class. I mean, we love rental real estate for all the reasons everybody does. I mean, we can leverage to buy real estate. You can't do that with any other investment. You put renters in it, whether it's in a storage unit or apartments or a house, and they pay off your basis. I mean, there's there's no other business that works like real estate, rental real estate. We just wanted to eliminate some of the hassles and make it a little more simpler and predictor, more predictable Absolutely. business model. Yeah. Okay. So then about what year is it that you get into self-storage? Yeah. So 2005 is when Five. I bought okay. my first self-storage facility. Yep. That was a partnership with someone else. Um, we had 398 units. So a little bit bigger than I probably still could have done even at that time on my own in storage, you know, with uh, the banks taking a chance on mm-hmm. us being the first time in that asset class. So um, that was a very successful project. We found a, um, uh, two business partners that were getting a business divorce and both of them didn't want uh, the other to make a dime off of it. So they continue to drive the value of the facility into the ground and sell it okay. too cheap. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we were the benefactors of that. And then sure. uh, shortly after that, then I went on and um, began to do more projects then on my own outside of that uh, partnership and uh, sold everything else off at that point, you know, the houses and the apartments just slowly. And it wasn't a fun fire sale or anything along those lines. It's sure. just that we realized that this is the business model. And so now we are sitting at, uh, we've uh, acquired, developed, converted over um, roughly 2.4 million square feet and about 14,000 doors nationwide. What makes a good self-storage opportunity? How can you tell that this might be something for you? Lots of items um, that, that, that tick the boxes uh, for us. And, uh, and again, it has to be value add. And so when mm-hmm. we look at a site, first of all, we look at the market. If we're going to raise the value in this thing, it really, you know, we're really going to look at how this thing is positioned compared to the rest of the market. First of all, is it in an undersupplied market? And in our market, Justin, for a, for a storage facility, is really about five miles. That's all the further that anybody's going okay. to drive to get to their stuff. And it, in most areas, it's three miles. So we look at a three mile radius and the amount of uh, the, the population and then the amount of competitors and their square footage. You know, there's a, there's a number right around six and a half to seven square feet per person or per capita that is considered equilibrium. You okay. Know, if you've got 10 square feet of self-storage in, in a three-mile radius, it's uh, leaning towards a oversupplied. If you're at four square feet, then it's, you know, green light. Let's let's go buy this thing because, you know, we can raise rates and build more units. And so that's that's what we're looking for is a good, strong market. And does then, the type of area – I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just does the type no, of area – matter whether it's more rural or more urban congested tightly you know mm-hmm. how packed those people are because i imagine that ratio might change um, depending on how much space people have in their own homes it, it does in their own homes or just out you know whatever an outbuilding or anything else and the more right. rural that we get you know there, there's a less propensity for people to store and then also there's just less activity i mean we're, right. we're in the trauma and transition business and so when there's trauma um, you know, when, when, when somebody's basement floods, they put their stuff in storage, mm, you know, okay. if there's any other, I mean, that, that's kind of outside of the norm, but you know, people lose their jobs, uh, divorce, death, bankruptcy, you know, that usually involves a transition and kind of some trauma that goes along with it where people need storage, but, um, just plain transition people moving, or if they're getting ready to stage their house to sell, they put stuff in storage and when they move, they need storage again, or just extra stuff. So there's, I mean, there's lots of things that, uh, that cause a demand or a need for storage. But the more people that we have in a more constant 
concentrated area, as you mentioned, um, and where a lot of those are apartments where they don't have a lot of storage, you know, that, that bodes well for us. So yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into that that creates not only a need for it in terms of total square footage, but then also generates more demand. College Got towns, it. military towns, they're more transient. So yeah, a number of factors. Florida doesn't have basements. So, you know, those areas are, you know, usually higher demand as well. Got it. It makes so much sense. I, I'm there. I'm your customer. I'm, I just <laughs> sold my house here in New Jersey and mm-hmm. have got a storage unit for the first time ever. And even though I've got a basement, loaded it up so the house was nice and clean for, yep. for staging. And, you well, know, it makes total I, sense. I thank you on behalf of the industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do what I can to help help you out. Um, so what are the differences in, in how you think about your customers, you know, tenants, multifamily, I want my tenants mostly to, to stay as long as possible, sure. you know, set roots so that they'll take that rental increase every single year. But mm-hmm. I'm also locking them into a 12-month lease usually. Mm-hmm. So how do you think about differently from tenants and multifamily to tenants and self-storage? Yeah, it's, a, a, it's not the opposite, um, but in some instances it is. And so, okay. you know, first of all, you know, how does the thing show, you know, from the website, from the mobile phone? Um, because what we found, Justin, is that uh, primarily the person in, in, in a traditional household that has, a, you know, whatever, mom and dad, husband and wife and, and kids, it's, it's usually mom that gets um, stuck with renting the unit. You know, it's just in her list of things to do. Um, and she's usually the one driving to get her husband's stuff out of the house or the garage. <laughs> so um, she goes to the website and, and it's gotta look, you know, the facility needs to look well, uh, good from, you know, clean, secure. So to the to the point that you can portray that and show the security and everything else. But then also you gotta make it easy for her to rent this unit. Um, this isn't like a house or an apartment. They're not going to come out as a couple and you know drive around and look at the school system and the neighbors or anything else. Is this thing close? Is it clean? Is it secure? And can I rent this thing from my mobile phone right now, or at the very least, reserve a unit? You know, ten by ten, ten by fifteen, and they got a special done. So if you can make it very accessible and easy. Um, for somebody to rent that that is you know first and foremost in terms of uh, the client and then there shouldn't be any surprises when they get there and so we're, we're very um, hands-off um, we do have facilities that have uh, managers and an office that is set up and, and we have ancillary income streams like truck rental and you know business surface services and you know different things of that nature that we can use to drive revenue but at the end of the day the highest line item you know in terms of our expenses always in any business is payroll so to the to the extent that we can utilize technology Technology and they can perform that transaction, which it's pretty low labor intensive. It's like, you know, a red box rental. Essentially, it's not much more complicated than that. So they can do it from their phone or a kiosk when they get to the to the uh, facility. And, and after we've taken their picture, got their fingerprint on, on, on the unit and we have their, their payment, we give them their key code or a key fob and they can get in. There's no other reason. I mean, it's a metal box. You know, the rest of the liability is on them. It's their stuff. So to the extent that we can make all of that available to them and very easily and accessible and everything, again, is clean and secure, you know, that's, that's how we win the game. And that we're found. I mean, marketing, you know, the, the game is won by being found um, online, period. How can a storage unit differentiate itself? Because from personal experience, right, I went online, I saw mm-hmm. this one on this street was X dollars yeah. for my 10 by 15. The one on, on the other street mm-hmm. was exactly the same, maybe within $5 difference, all within my town. They were all the same. And I ended up picking the one that was, like you said, closest to me, right? So yeah. how can you yeah. make your storage unit stand out from the others? I mean, let, yeah, let's face it, Justin. I mean, that is um, you know, a blessing and a curse. We're, we're a commodity um, at the end of the day. you know. So um, people aren't looking for school systems and neighbors and anything else. It's got to be close. 
Um, if we offer a special, that, that may help us to beat our neighbors and, and all of us, meaning our, our friendly competitors in that five-mile radius, three-mile radius. You know, everybody's looking to see what everybody else's rates are because yeah. we know, you know, and they're specials because that, um, you know, it's um, really um, one of the few ways that we can differentiate ourselves. Outside of that, ease of use. Make it easy, as I mentioned. Um, the website's got to look nice and crisp and clean. Um, even if, you know, th this is very similar, Justin, to the apartment days when, you um, the, the the apartment complexes that we would buy they had pools uh, most of them mm -hmm. did you know and people would come in and they'd say well i you know i never never rent a, a apartment or live somewhere that didn't have a pool and you know we had 400 you know units 200 units you know it didn't really matter um we'd open up the pool on memorial day here in the midwest and you know you know 10 people show up to have the free hot dogs and their kids poop in the pool and we don't see them again until labor day when we yeah. you know have the pool closing and they come back for another free hot dog at the party and their kids poop in the pool and they leave and we never see them in between then right but nobody would ever dare rent in a place that didn't have a pool so we offer all those amenities um, as well you know what if we if it makes sense truck rental and, uh, you know, UPS services, eBay services. Um, I mean, anything that we can do to load it up. So it looks like there's a self-storage party when they come to the website. You know, even if they never need any of those things, they want their stuff to be at a facility that has all the bells and whistles. Uh, again, even if they don't need it. So, you know, that is one way we can differentiate ourselves. And um, we certainly hope to make money off those ancillary, you know, income streams and services. But even if we don't, you know, it looks like um, this, this is the place to be. But, you know, really, there's, there's not much other than being clean and accessible. And, um, you know, people don't all, not, not everybody, not every generation wants to rent a unit from their mobile phone or from a kiosk. They do want to talk to somebody or see somebody. And so if they're calling, um, you, you rest assured they're going to get a phone call or they're going to receive somebody on the other end um, or a phone call back right away because this is, again, a commodity. And they'll go on to the next person if they don't mm -hmm. talk to a live person to help them along. So... Um, we, we want to capture, we spent all this time and money on marketing and everything else. And so if, if somebody's coming to our site or calling, we have to capture them and Listen. they, they kind of, you got to pry them out of our cold dead hands before they go anywhere else. <laughs> Makes sense. So do you mm -hmm. have, um, you know, multifamily, we use property management companies, right? I have site staff mm -hmm. employees. Do you self-manage? Do you have management companies? What does that even look like? Yeah. Uh, self-management makes me want to crawl in a corner and vomit. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. That's uh, uh, now I know we're heading towards that at some point. We're we're large enough now that most likely we're going to bring some of that component in house. But we we're syndicators as well. We raise private equity, and so we're we're big on third party and kind of you know arm's length away. We don't want to take all the fees and be running everything and and you know receiving all the profits from a, a facility. So uh, nor do we want to. Again, I don't want to start a property management company, and I don't want to have to know intricately uh, you know every detail about every market or yeah. hire the people to do that just yet. So we, we hired third-party property management companies. Uh, we've got roughly three to four that we know do very well, and, and it really depends upon proximity, you know, the, where, where that property is. And we want it to be in a market where they already have a presence. Even if they're they're managing for another facility, you know, as long as it's five, six, seven miles away, we, we don't fear that they're going to be, you know, there's going to be a competition or any you know wrongdoing of sending somebody somewhere else you know but we want the benefits of you know they got a website presence there and so they're already paying for traffic you know people are going to come to their website and we're just feeding that they've got a regional supervisor that can go see multiple facilities but you know they're working for that owner over there they're working for us over here you know that's how we really get that economies of scale and so that's that's primarily the reason why we want to use them but again that arm's length for our investors and uh, again I, we just don't want to we don't want to start that just yet very similar to multifamily Make, makes a lot of Sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Identical. One thing that is different, though, in most multifamilies, you don't have 
the sort of franchises that are out there, right? So I can go drive down my, the main road here and I see probably the same three companies and I drive five miles more and it's the same companies again. Do you mm-hmm. franchise with them? What would be the benefits of that? How does that work mm-hmm. with the with the the model? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, you know, as I begin to look into the business, um, I just assume they were, those are all company owned stores, and and they're not, you know. So the extra spaces, public storage, life storage, Cube Smart, they own their own properties, but they also third party manage for other okay. owners and Got developers. It. So, you know, we would just, you know, explore and, and look at them um, again, look at them in that same way, you know, what makes the most sense for this asset and where is the closest one? And, you know, just, you know, chat with them about that, make sure that there's no competition and then determine who's doing the best job in that market. So if life storage, for example, is going to be your manager, then that would be branded as a life storage facility. Is that correct? Typically, yeah. Okay. And, and it really makes sense to, you know, the, the only time it becomes an issue is if they're not performing and then we want to take it back, but then we lose all that traffic. You know, we've lost all right. that, you know, the SEO and, and, and the Google Mojo, um, you know, coming to the site, we have to start over again, either with another management company or our own. So that that is, you know, kind of a double edged sword. But far more benefit, you know, pick pick the one right to begin with, enter into a long-term agreement uh, with them, make sure that there's performance-based compensation, a component of it is performance-based so mm-hmm. that they are, they are driven to perform just like, you know, you are as an owner, and uh, then take advantage of what they've got, which is this website, you know, the SEO that they already have, uh, you know, and that back end all built into place. Yeah. I love it. This, this is so great. So the um, few more few more pieces. I want to talk about value add. Don't let me forget that. But before we get there, um, what is it that you are tracking? What metrics are you tracking to show how well your properties are doing? I mean, I got to imagine occupancy, just like multifamily, yeah. has got to be mm-hmm. a huge one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're um, you know, very very similar to again multifamily, and and you know for one quarter we're driving. We may be driving occupancy. Um, it doesn't always m- mean that we're driving revenue because even though it does as a byproduct, but then the next quarter when our occupancy gets up, then we're driving revenue, which means rental increases um, going back in and hitting those people that didn't purchase uh, renters insurance up front, offering other ancillary you know income streams and services uh, to them um, and just doing everything in our power to raise raise revenue at that point or raise NOI, reducing expenses and uh, raising uh, revenue. And then we go back to the next quarter uh, and then we're raising occupancy again. And now the next quarter when we go back, we may be... Uh, um, again, having a, a rent increase. And the beauty of storage is that uh, we don't, as you mentioned earlier, you know, in multifamily, we try to lock people in um, for long term, 12 months or longer. And then we do our best to re- make sure that we get the renewal uh, on that as well. Well, in storage, you know, our, our rentals are 30 days. You know, it's a 30, 30 day lease. It's a month to month lease. Mm-hmm. So people are either going to move or they're not, you know, and, and we find that in multifamily too. You know, if they can't pay or, you know, if they're, they're, they're leaving, they've lost their job, you know, whatever that means, you know, what, what difference does it make a 12 month lease? You know, you can go after them and, you know, sue them, garnish their checks, you know, maybe that, or garnish their wages, maybe that works. But at the end of the day, somebody's going to move, they're going to move. So the, 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 the pros to that is that we can then raise rents whenever we want. Now we don't do it every other month or every, you know, three or four months, but we do it a month, seven or eight uh, you yep. know, after we move into a facility and, and we say, hey, good news. You know, we're the new managers. Here's where to send everything. Dude, come and say hi to the new manager behind the desk. And hopefully you'll see the improvements that we make. And then we make those improvements. And then the next month, 60 days later, uh, good news. Hopefully you liked everything that we saw. And um, the good news is, you know, we did an audit of, of all the rent rolls and, and yours isn't too far behind everybody else. But, um, you know, we are going to raise your rates by $5, $3, $4. Just those nuisance rate increases. And, well, um, I'm not going to go unload all my stuff for $5 more a month. I'm not going to go pay for a truck, a truck and, or the hours yeah. and time. Exactly. I'm kind of stuck, right, as a customer. Yep. 
Yeah. So five bucks across 400 units, you know, sure. at, a, at, a, at a six cap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. And we do that, eight, you know, seven, eight, nine months or so. And, you know, mm-hmm. again, we don't get too aggressive with that. But then, you know, with those rent increase letters, you know, just like we did with our apartments to say, we're going to raise it. If it's a, if it's an issue, come, come see the manager and we'll, we'll talk to you about it. But as you can see, you know, here's all the other competitors and we show them, you know, you're still less than, you know, Joe Blow across the street, you know, or down the road for a two bedroom or a three bedroom or whatever that looks like. And we do the same for them as well. And, yeah. and if some of them leave, you know what, they were leaving anyways. Right. And, if, and, and so be it. Then now we have the new street right in place and we move in the next person that's waiting in line. Man, makes so much sense. Um, anything besides occupancy that, that you look yeah, at that KPI, might surprise sorry. Um, yeah. So yeah, accounts receivable, you know, we're, we're pushing to get all of our rent collected. We only want to have 5% at the most, 5% of our rent um, outstanding beyond 30 days. You know, that's, that's kind of a benchmark in the industry. You know, ours are a little bit lower than that. Uh, but we want to be driving up rentals, um, you know, the uh, economic occupancy versus physical. We want that to gap to be zero. You know, we don't want anybody on these concessions or free or half price. So, you know, we want that delta to be just as absolutely low as possible. Um, we, we collect all of our admin fees. We want to sell more locks, boxes, moving supplies. And so our, our average add-on per unit um, in terms of renter's insurance and, and all those ancillary, we, we, we give a spiff commissions, bonuses to our managers. Um, so we're monitoring that to make sure that we increase those. And then, uh, you know, turnover. We certainly don't, you know, we can't control that at all costs, but we want to just make sure that we reduce that as much as possible. So, um, you know, we want to make sure that we address any issues because, you know, our, our, our opportunity cost is a, a vacant unit. So keep them in, you know, whatever it takes to keep somebody in there. It's not, you know, it's not a lost cost outside of that. So those, those are the main ones. And then, um, you know, any... Again, we syndicate, we raise a lot of private equity, and so we're always matching up our performance, um, mostly by NOI and occupancy of where we are today versus the projections that we had in our private placements. And, and so when we put that, those reports and project those reports out to our uh, investors, we want to make sure that uh, as closely as possible that we're tracking along with the original projections in, in the PPM. Yeah. So those are the main, and, and overall as a company, we're really looking at performance for employees. So, you know, how mm-hmm. much, how much, how many dollars do they generate? And so that's, uh, that's really more on an entity level, but that, that also does trickle down to the, uh, the facility level as well. Makes sense. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So how have you guys been affected by COVID if at all? Tell me, tell me about that. Um, in a, in a very positive manner. Um, again, we're, we are in the trauma and transition business. And so yep. what we saw through COVID is that, you know, outside of the lockdown when nobody did anything, well then, you know, immediately as a result of that lockdown, kids went home from school, their stuff came into storage. Everybody went home from, uh, work. And, um, unfortunately the businesses that went under, you know, they put the, the rest of their inventory, you know, office equipment, you know, what have you in storage until they could either sell it or, you know, open up business again. So we got another huge rush uh, and, and a surge in occupancy. And then, uh, yeah, when people started working from home, no longer in the offices, well, all of a sudden, um, you know, dad had to, um, or, or the primary wage earner had to clear out a, a living room, dining room, bedroom to make, make an office. And if there was yep. two wage earners at home, they had to clear out more stuff and, uh, and put it somewhere. So that all came to storage as well. Um, so we, we have, um, and we're an essential business. And so there's really only one state sh- for New York for a little while that was closed for storage, but then the rest of them, um, you know, we, we've been running unmanned facilities, you know, the ability to do all this, as I discussed earlier with kiosk and by the phone. So, you know, uh, uh, we've been unmanned before it was cool to be unmanned and, and, you know, touchless this <laughs> yeah. and that and rentals in, in our industry. So we were poised and ready for this. Wow. So it's essential. We were prepared for it. And then the other Facilities are mom and pops that, you know, in their offices, you know, they had to put up a shield and then maybe a kiosk so that they could run 24-7. Some updated their websites and added a little bit more and maybe mobile 
uh, accessibility if they didn't, but we didn't skip a beat. Year over year, rentals and occupancy is up. Self-storage is, um, I mean, if you look at any of the charts for anybody out there right now, industrial and self-storage. Um, industrial because retail um, is dying even quicker and Amazon is building warehouses and all the other industries that, that benefit from Amazon's, you know, increase in business are building industrial buildings. And so industrial's done extremely well, but self-storage is uh, at the top right now. And um, I looked at a report the other day in terms of all the, the REITs uh, from 2020, the Real Estate Investment Trust, and storage and industrial are the only two sectors of the economy in real estate that ended up uh, in positive numbers for last year. Yeah. Wow. Everything else was in, in, in the negative. So we um, we don't celebrate pandemics and we don't celebrate recessions, but you know with with those traumas and transitions and downsizings, um, uh, we we benefit from that when people have to put their stuff in storage until they weather whatever storm it is they're going through. Understood. Finally, you know you you started off with value add, and and that's something that mm -hmm. us as operators, my listeners, myself, we're always talking about how to value add, and and I know how to take a C class mm -hmm. asset and make it a C plus or even a B, yeah. and and I know how to renovate mm -hmm. units to do that, but. Tell me some of the strategies that you use to value add a storage complex. Yeah, yeah. So distressed real estate is distressed real estate, as you know, Justin. I mean, you know these things when you drive by it. You know, you know somebody is taking their hands off the wheel, and it just looks bad. First of all, yep. now again, somebody isn't living there, and their stuff's going to go there. But you know, if you can't even find an attractive, you know, picture that you can take anywhere to your facility to put on your website, then you're not going to rent up compared to your competition. So it does start from the curb. Um, then it does start from presence being found. We, we're a commodity, and if it's a mom and pop that owned this facility and they never bothered to even put it on a website, they're still advertising in the yellow pages, mm -hmm. you know, drive-by traffic and word of mouth is not going to cut it. And so, you know, it is adding web presence and then making sure that you are paying for, you know, to get traffic, to get eyeballs on your site, um, being able to uh, be mobile friendly. It has to be a mobile friendly website. You have to have accessibility to allow them to rent. When somebody does come onto the site, um, hopefully accessibility by way of a, a kiosk where they can walk into a lobby and rent a unit there as well. And if you have a live person behind the counter, then that office needs to look sparkling. It needs to look uh, bright and needs to look modern. That person behind the counter needs to have a, a logoed um, shirt on, a golf shirt or uh, otherwise, um, and not a you know a, a dirty wife beater tank top mm. and a, you know smoking a cigarette and a hat on and a, <laughs> and a you know nasty dirty office. And they have to be educated. You know they have to they have to know the product. They have to know the industry, and um, they have to know how to do the paperwork and, and provide a nice, friendly, professional experience for that person coming in because they can go down the road. They can go somewhere else, and you have to train them to be salespeople. And you have to give them incentives in order to you know, lease units up. So it is is really all about you know the product and and that it presents well, that it can be found when uh, so when it's found, it presents well, and then all along the way, ease of use make it super easy for somebody to be able to rent a unit uh, and have a professional experience. Now on top of that, then it's rent management, revenue management. You know, just driving the NOI, which is driving expenses down, driving revenue up. You know, so long as it doesn't drive your occupancy down as well and, and, and you know, sending people to your competition um, and just be militant about the expenses. So um, it's how, how can it's, you reduce expenses? I imagine they have to be fairly, fairly fixed. Yeah. Right. They are. I mean, they are. Our expenses are pretty low to begin with. Um, so, you know, on the front end, you know, separating the business from the real estate um, mm -hmm. so that we can appeal property taxes or at least not have an increase. You know, it's two separate purchase agreements. So going into it is the first thing right out of the gate. Okay. Um, fighting uh, against uh, property taxes and then putting technology in to reduce or in some cases, uh, you know, eliminate what was a, a full-time salary at $40,000 a year and uh, reduce that by half or completely if it's an unmanned facility. 
Um, I mean, you're right. There's not much in, in terms of utilities, but, you know, we put LED lights all over mm -hmm. the place, you know, and get rid of anything else that's out there. If they're leasing poles, pole lights from the electric company, get rid of those, put on wall LED wall packs. We handle those. Um, getting rid of dumpsters, you know, we don't provide a dumpster. If they brought their trash, take it with them when they leave. Um, mm -hmm. you know, just we, we don't need to be paying for those. Um, economies of scale from an insurance standpoint, being smart about that and reducing that. Um, being uh, you know, absolutely giving your, your manager the ability to earn commissions on locks, boxes, moving supplies, uh, rental insurance. You know, some of these folks, they don't have any of these programs. You know, they just rent a unit and that's it. And uh, we've identified over 40 plus profit centers that you can add to a facility from truck rentals to you know, retail of locks, boxes, moving supplies to eBay services to pack and ship to receiving. You know, we have pharmaceutical reps that receive in our multi-story temperature control facilities that receive, you know, samples and things. And mm. so um, they, they pay our manager to, you know, receive those from UPS, FedEx, you know, any, any of the other shipping companies, dock doors in the back to be able to, you know, accommodate some of these uh, larger business customers and clients. I mean, there's a number of ways that you can um, just accommodate and expand your services and uh, be able to drive that at every point of sale. So yeah, it's not, it's not a magic formula. It's just making sure that, you know, what's available to me, you know, can I sell medical uh, records storage and shredding services at this site? Does it make sense in this market? Uh, wine storage, storage for furs, art, other collectibles, you know, you know in an area that we have um, sectioned off that is temperature controlled to 55 degrees and humidity controlled so that the corks don't get dried out in, in their mm -hmm. wine and their furs don't get destroyed and their art doesn't, you know, fade away or whatever, um, you know, just you know, looking for any opportunity that we can to differentiate ourselves and add on another profit stream. Got it. Wow. Mm -hmm. Great. <laughs> I'm learning so much. Thank you so much for sharing all this. My pleasure. Um, we like the biz. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And, and you got my gears turning a bit um, on a number of different ways, but um, mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's transition here to uh, I'm, you, you mentioned a program that you're offering. So I definitely want to give you a chance to let our audience know how to find about out about you and, mm -hmm. and connect with you about that. Yep. So go to selfstorageinvesting.com. Simple enough. Selfstorageinvesting.com. What a domain. And, uh, there's a number of beautiful. What's that? I said, what a domain. That's, that's perfect. Well, uh, we had to pay a little bit for that one. back. I in the imagine day, but, uh, you did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it does. It is. So that's a lot, a lot of free resources um, to be able to pull down to show you, you know, how to get started, you know, where do you go to begin market and what, what to look for, you know, kind of some, even some basic underwriting so that you're going to understand exactly what you're looking at and looking for other tips and strategies. And uh, as well as, you know, all the resources that we have that are on the paid side as well, our home study system, which starts with a business plan and walks you through how to set up your business, um, our software for underwriting and understanding uh, the numbers uh, behind it, you know, the art and the science to underwriting a self-storage facility. And then if you want to take it a step further and, and immerse yourself in the business, um, there's the, the events page. And so take a look at that. Um, our live events uh, that are coming up, we've got um, some in Orlando, um, Indianapolis, uh, we're heading out to uh, Arizona. So if you want to immerse yourself in the business and learn from our team, then um, get yourself out to one of our live events. Wow. All of Scott's links, everything that he just mentioned will be up on our website, truemultifamily.show, bio, all that great stuff. Scott, I have to thank you for coming on the show. Before we go, we always end with our true multifamily tip. I'm going to change it for self-storage. And so yeah. someone, me, I come to you, Scott, and I say, hey, Scott, I, you know, multifamily is great, but I want to get into self-storage investing. What is your true multifamily mm -hmm. tip for that? 
as I said, that you know, the biggest mistake that I made when I made that jump into commercial real estate was that uh, then I get some help, you know, whether it even being a consultant, let alone a mentor or a coach, you know, somebody to kind of walk you through that just to, you know, take a look over your shoulder and, um, you know, take a look at your underwriting and look at the deal that you're about to get into, you know, make sure that you have an attorney looking over your documents. But, you know, we, we, we teach people how to build teams and you really do have to have a team. It doesn't mean you have to hire a whole bunch of folks, but you need to have a number of advisors assisting you on that uh, very first uh, project. Um, and then after that, Justin, it's, um, which, you know, I know you're used to, to saying, and I'll, I'll just repeat it is guys, you got to go out and do it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, right now there is a, now is, there is no better time. Money is so cheap. Uh, we have mom and pop, you know, investors that are getting a little nervous about the coming recession and still what's going on with COVID and what have you. And they're selling their apartment complexes. They're selling self storage. They don't want to go through another one again. And, uh, I, I see, I don't know about you, Justin, but I see fewer and fewer people that are willing to do the heavy lifting and really just go out and pound the streets, make those connections with the brokers and commercial, whether it be a, a multifamily or self storage and, you know, send the direct mailers out to the owners of these properties and then following up and making the phone calls and pulling on doors and going in and introducing yourself. Um, I think there's no better time. And we have a, an incredible opportunity in this window right now where money is cheap. Um, there are a lot of folks that are looking to sell and there's a, the oncoming recession is a huge demand for storage. So um, just go out and do it, make it happen. Just it, right now is the time to execute, you know, get your education, get, get, get the folks behind you, but it's time to uh, time to step up and take a swing at the plate. Wow. Love it. Such great advice. Scott Myers, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. Guys, if you missed it, hit up truemultifamily.show for Scott's episode with all of his links. Great, great episode, Scott. Thank you again. See you soon. My pleasure, Justin. Good to catch up. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily.